1: I am very excited about today's guest. She works as a director of University of Michigan's Sport Health and Activity Research Policy Center. Her research interests focus on sustainable behavior change. She has also authored a popular book called No Sweat! How the Simple Science of Motivation Can Bring You a Lifetime of Fitness which in Amazon has average rating of 4.5 stars out of 5, which is very impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Michel Siger. Welcome, Michel.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, great that you you were able to take time from your schedule to be the guest so if we start with how do you share your time between academia and, and other, other things?
0: Well, my research, um, my academic research was was grounded in real life um, discoveries through my first randomized trial when I was getting my first master's degree in kinesiology. And we had done. a. Uh, so that's just the background. Um, I think I want to tell you just briefly what we learned, because that has directed yes. the non academic portion of what I do. We discovered that although research significantly helped um, these study participants who were f- about four and re- four and a half years outside of treatment living normal lives, uh, despite our research showing that they had benefits psychologically, when our study ended, so did their commitment to exercise. And when I asked them during focus, focus groups, why did you stop exercising? And they just said they were busy. They were too busy to exercise. And I, you know, was really kind of startled by that. And I thought, wow, if people who face a life-threatening illness don't feel comfortable sticking with an exercise, you know, for their own self-care, then we have a real problem. And I decided that I was going to... Try to solve it. So, um, so that's basically what uh, led me to start. And so, the work I do in addition to academic research is I do coaching. I do lifestyle coaching with people to uh, help them learn what's getting in the way in their lives and especially in their minds uh, to sticking with, you know, healthy eating or regular exercise. And also um, I consult with really large organizations so that they can apply some of the science in their own products and services. And I do a lot of speaking. So it's, I do a lot of stuff outside of academia, the purpose of which is to disseminate and translate what we learn and make it useful. Mm,
1: Yeah. So, how when when you are coaching coaching people how do you how do you usually how does it you how does the process usually go how do you start with them
0: well um they usually come to me they hear about what i do and um i have i've developed a system which actually is completely described in no sweat uh i show the exercise type of coaching that I do. And uh, and I usually start by helping people understand really where, where does physical activity stand in your heart? Mm. There's this motivation component to sustainable physical activity. And it's really, you know, I feel like it's more a heart issue desire? Do you desire to be active? Are you motivated to be active? And, you know, a lot of people would say no. And, and then the question is, how do you help people uncover what's really getting in the way? Um, and so that's typically the first, you know, the first part um, in terms of addressing sustainable physical activity. But part of the problem is much harder to solve the low motivation. And it's, it goes back to the cancer survivor story that, people don't feel entitled or comfortable prioritizing time that that's all about them just feeling better and having a sense of well-being and so part of the shift is to help people understand the true value of Taking time away and moving your body, um, and how that actually helps all your other priorities. So there's a couple of components mm. that I deal with, and and full protocol is actually in most of the protocols in my book.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you said that quite many people don't have the desire to move, or they don't have the motivation. So how do you, how do you get them the motivation to actually move?
0: Well, a key part of what you just asked is how do I get them the motivation? <laughs> and they have to get the motivation, but the way I help them discover it, um, first let me take a, a little step back and say my view of the problem with low exercise motivation is very much grounded in how we've been socialized or educated to think about exercise so what we've learned to believe why we should be doing it how we should be doing it where we should be doing it those are basically motivation sappers. And so Mm. it's helping people understand that really society has been given a formula for exercise that doesn't work for most people. So it's not people's fault. And so helping them understand that and then helping them uncover how are they exercising um, in ways that don't feel good? What rules are there about exercise that they believe that actually are true that are getting them to have experiences that feel bad, if not punishing, not tolerable. And then finally, after you know, I help people uncover those things. Then the question is, well, what do you like? What would feel good if there were no rules? What would you do if if you knew that you would feel better in your mind, body, and spirit from moving? If you believed that, what type of physical activity? would deliver those important experiences so Hmm. that's you know in a nutshell what i do
1: yeah yeah and what kind of things usually come up when there's no rules what kind of things people say that they like
0: well a lot of people really like walking outside um uh, although, as you mentioned, maybe November in Finland <laughs> might not be the most uplifting place, but um, I'm, I'm in Michigan and there's a lot of snow already and it's very gray, so um, it's not dark, but it's very gray. So, But even being outside, you know, I, I think the research is starting to really show that there are some true mood benefits from just being outside and looking at the trees, whether they're covered with snow or not. Um, so walking is something people enjoy, but they didn't know they could count it as official exercise. And that's among the most common things I've seen over the last 25 years since I've been coaching people. Um, The other thing is that people think about what they enjoyed when they were a kid. I know someone who started um, inline skating, a doctor, an MD, who puts on you know, inline skates and go skating in a park. I know someone else who started swimming. I know someone else who bought a bike. Um, so I think when we reframe physical activity as this should for medical reasons to, what's going to bring me joy and fun and satisfaction or more energy, it completely changes the game. And then people are freed up to choose what they want.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can clearly see the point. So... So where, where do you think we went wrong with the exercise? Do you do you see the exercise is medicine branding or, or where, where where did it start to go wrong?
0: Great question. So it's no one's fault that it went wrong. And I, I talk about this quite a bit to academics and physicians. The value of physical activity has evolved out of a medical paradigm. Really... Um, what we've learned about exercise. I mean, there was this whole aerobic craze in the, I don't know 70s or 80s that was really all about body shaping. And that still is a prevalent, you know kind of cultural model for exercise. But the health model um, really derives from academic research and clinicians. Who've been taught that exercise is medicine and it is medicine. The problem is, is that what's going to motivate clinicians to prescribe exercise is very different than what's going to motivate individuals to sustain it. And so, you know, the problem is that the value of exercise has come out of a health care, a health paradigm. And while it, it, it may motivate clinicians, and again, a lot of clinicians still don't prescribe exercise so even for that it's not super it's not super successful but for but for, for individuals while they think in an ideal world exercising for health is it actually going to motivate them and a good reason to do it research suggests that health is not a good reason to exercise if you care about sticking with it long term
2: this podcast is sponsored by fibian Fibion is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behaviour change in sedentary behaviour and incidental physical activity. Fibion provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at phibiancom slash research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers.
1: So, h- how do you see how the exercise should be branded, or should we even call it exercise, or should it be just movement or some some other word but how, how should it be branded
0: yes i think we've got to completely get rid of the word for the general population I mean for subpopulations that are already you know geeked about exercise and i don't know if it's 20 percent of the population you know um that's kind of a guess based on some literature i've read but i don't know if that's an accurate um percentage we want to change to words that are going to be more accessible and resonate more with people and i do think movement is a better term even physical activity in my Mm. own research when i'm doing research with participants unless we specifically want to see the difference between exercise and physical activity we don't even use the word exercise because we know that that's going to bias how people feel before before we ask any questions so we've been using the word physical activity but i even think that's a problematic word that's kind of clinical and it and it's not very exciting it's kind of like michigan in november you know i think movement Mm -hmm. is a maybe a, a more holistic positive word
1: yeah yeah i i can see that and now as the as the exercise recommendation they are called exercise recommendation still even though it counts all the movement even even a short one so i think there's there's clearly a point there and how, how do you see the difference between different intensities of activity as now it has been shown that also the light intensity... You're talking about the change
0: in November 2018, the change in recommendations? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. yes, Yeah, no, I I jumped for joy when I read that um, because from a psychological perspective and a consumer behavior perspective, there never should have been any um, requirements for duration and intensity and... Uh, and even the beginning of accelerometry um, showing that little bits counts. I think that's the best thing that could have happened for the world um, when it comes to physical activity. And I believe we professionals need to figure out how to truly disseminate that change. It has not been disseminated. It's been a year. Um, So I think that's the best thing that's ever happened. And we've got to figure out how to get people to believe it, because still most people believe falsely. Their beliefs are based on outdated recommendations from even 20 and 30 years ago, and that has to do with the nature of beliefs and belief change. It's a physiological thing that has to happen. And um, so, you know, I think we've got to figure out a way to rebrand movement partly through the new duration on requirements and i personally am working on that um and if you have any suggestions mm. for how i can do that uh let me know do you ever come to uh american behavioral medicine conferences
1: i i haven't i haven't been yeah and and when when you having customers uh how how do you usually direct people when when they usually like walking? But it's also known that the higher intensity activity is is beneficial, that you kind of need need both. How how do you do the directing them well, to my activity? all my
0: direction to activity is based on their preference? I I my belief is that people are only gonna stick with what works for them, what feels good to them. And anything is better than nothing. That's that. Those two um, beliefs guide my um, work with people. After they're able to be successful and you know make physical activity palatable in the way that they want to do, I often find that people on their own decide, "Well, I'd like to step this up a little bit. I'd like to make this a little more challenging," but. If we really want to get people to sustain a physically active life, it has to be theirs. They have to own it. They have to decide how they do it. So gold standard, you know, ideal health benefits, I think, you know, theory doesn't make it in reality. And I think we've got to just get away from that notion that people should be doing it at a certain intensity.
1: Hmm. And how, how do you see, like, is there some normal pattern of progression that people start with the activity they like, usually with the lighter intensity? And then how, how active do they, do they get? And do they, are they able also to change their diet? Is there some so pattern you have noticed with, with your customers?
0: There is no pattern I can call upon. I can tell you that once people do what I call converting a chore to a gift... Um, so that they feel a desire instead of a dread of being active, they are empowered empowered and excited for, for this change in relationship. Um, I can tell you, I think it's, I have a really strong bias when it comes to changing behavior, and I believe people should only focus on one behavior at a time, not changing your diet and exercise at the same time. I, I don't think the research mm. is on unequ- what's the word i don't i don't think we from a research perspective some research shows that doing things simultaneously works better other research shows that sequentially works better so i don't think we know the answer to that question but from working with people in real life and understanding you know how much they juggle how cognitively taxed and depleted they are The goal of sustainable behavior change is institutionalizing a behavior into your life forever. And so, and that doesn't mean there aren't going to be ups and downs and less and more activity. It's about institutionalizing it into your life. And if that's the case, we need to study the behavior in our life. We need to study what gets in our ways. Um, and, and you can't do that with two behaviors at the same time. So, I, you know, I, I had someone come to, you know, I had people come to me who want to lose weight and I say, first of all, if that's your primary reason for wanting to exercise, I can't work with you because research shows in my own work shows that if weight loss is your goal, you'll never be able to shift exercise from a chore to a gift. That, so, and it's not true for everyone, but that's in general what I found. Um, if someone won't let go of their weight loss purpose for exercise, I, just, I won't work with them because it's a waste of their time and it's a waste of my time. Now, I have had people... You know, who've wanted to lose weight, and they say, "Okay, Michelle, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to push pause on my desire to lose weight, and I'm going to work with you on exercise. And you know, it's it's pretty easy to shift exercise from a chore to a Mm -hmm. gift. And again, I show people how to do that in my book. It's very simple." And I've had people come back to me 20 years later and say, you know, Michelle, I finally decided I did want to lose weight and I started working on my diet like I joined Weight Watchers. And what these people tell me is because they had already figured the exercise component out, that changing their diet was almost uh, what you know, their colleagues in the program, their, their peers were so envious that they had already figured this out for exercise. And so they had basically half the amount of work to do because they weren't struggling with physical activity. In fact, the principles they learned about changing their relationship with physical activity with me on their own, they applied to changing their relationship with eating. So, um, you know, again, the other thing I think is important is that when people conflate exercise and physical activity um, because of an, a focus, in a, you know, on weight and obesity, again, it's, you know, if you want to lose weight, it's really eat, how you eat what you eat is going to determine that. It's not physical activity. Mm-hmm. I think the research is pretty clear, right, mm-hmm. that our weight is primarily controlled by what we eat, not how much we exercise,
1: yeah, I, I agree. So if I go a little bit back, you said that it should be one behavior at a time. How How is your experience? How long does it usually take to learn one, one behavior?
0: Well, I would say, you know, there are individual differences with how long it takes. Um, I can tell you that when I work with someone, I have an intensive four weekly sessions, which really has three weeks between them, to do the core mind shift Mm. change, mindset change that needs to happen. And then uh, I, I... And in an ideal world, I build in four other follow-up sessions that could be a month later, two months later, really across the year to provide um, some ongoing support, minimal support for um, this institutionalizing part in their life. So when I tell people, you know, when we talk, when I talk about this with people, I say, you know, we have our whole lifetime to be physically active. Why wouldn't we take 6 months a year to 2 years to learn how to sustain it, right?
1: Yeah, makes makes fully sense. And and how how do you see like now as as the sitting has been recognized as a adverse health effect and and also long sitting periods? It's quite easy to, easy to break up the long sitting period. So do you see that something that is really easy to do in the beginning is good to start with and then start to get to more more advanced and more difficult behavior change? So how do you how do you see it?
0: Well, I think it's complicated because on the one hand, you're right, standing more is is easier, you know. My concern about starting with that is that I don't know that people are going to feel any kind of energetic benefits from that or mm-hmm. mood benefits. So, I, and I don't know, I mean, there's probably research on this, and I just don't know what it is. Um, but again, you want to create desire to move, and that's where if you do something like um walking for five or ten minutes, I do think people are going to get some immediate positive feedback. But from standing more, I just don't know that they're going to get it. You know what I mean? And and then I would be concerned that eventually it would become a meh. And then people, you know, would kind of be demotivated again from regular activity. But, you know, I think that's a great research study that mm, someone should I, do. I,
1: I fully see the point. And how do you see, I I was I, I had a guest, uh, Emmanuel Stamatakis, in, in a previous podcast, and he was Telling about this hyper high intensity incidental physical activity that you do something even for just some some twenty seconds during your day with higher intensity. Yes. What's your take on that?
0: Yes. Um, you know I think it's good. I think as long as you're not going to hurt yourself, as long as it's palatable, you know I have to you know say that I'm. I've, I used to run Mm. and then I had to stop running because of knee stuff and I walk mostly, but I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm trying to implement a little couple minutes of high intensity just because it feels like it's probably good for my bones. Um, Mm. probably good to get my heart rate up a little bit, but again, I'm choosing autonomously to do that and I'm not doing it in a way that hopefully I'm gonna hurt myself. So I think the other, I think the only problem with the high intensity stuff is that it's very easy for people to hurt themselves. And so, you know, 30 seconds is one thing, um, five minutes is another. So I, I I think we just need to be careful that people understand that maybe taking baby steps like 20 seconds, like there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. When it comes to exercise, people have come to believe and it's not their fault. It's the way we've taught them. More is always better, more time, more intensity. And I think that is also both a recipe for injuries as well as a recipe for Feeling like you don't have time to do it.
2: Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy to understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tools. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. And and then I, if I
1: go to the process of writing a popular book, how how was the process? How did you like it to write the popular book based on your scientific findings?
0: Oh, it was great fun. It was really fun. And, it, you know, I was in a bit of a dis- different situation when it came to writing my book because... Oh, sorry, there's something. I just had a, a, a noise with my computer because... No problem. You know, the the book was based on what I'd been doing for 25 years and what I'd been writing about academically, the presentations I was giving to large companies, the the work I was doing. So I had, I already had an organization. I already knew the science that I used and I updated it. I already knew the method. So it, it, it made it much easier, I think. I'm currently—I can't talk about what it is, but I'm—I've spent the la- I've spent time over the last year developing um, a new book proposal on a t- on a topic that I haven't really that it's not that familiar to me, and it has been. I haven't even written the book. And, and this process of figuring out organization, what are the main points, it's really been a lot more yeah. laborious. So um, I think my first book is Might Go Down is the easiest book to write, <laughs> for me anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And And you said also that you're doing quite a bit of keynote speaking. I think many of our listeners would probably like to do that. But how much of marketing and other work it took to actually start getting invitations to to speak?
0: Sure. Well, I had a mentor in the 90s who said to me, exposure, exposure, exposure. And basically what that means is you have to appreciate the initial stages or well, really any stage but if you're trying to do more of speaking the best way you can do that is speak mm. so if that means doing a free lunchtime at a company then do it so um you know what I, i'm trying to think of the word you have to put in your your do or your time before you know Before you might reap the kind of speaking um, events that you'd really like to have, Uh, you know, I started speaking publicly in the mid-90s. So, you know, that's 25, well, let's see, 90, Is that 25 or 30 years ago? I guess 25 25, years ago. So, you know, it, it took at least 10 years to really start to speak in the ways that I was hoping to speak. Um, and that's just part of the process. I mean, I think you have to look at it as a long-term thing and it's definitely worth doing. Mm. The other thing I would say to people who want to speak in the way, you know, do keynotes and conferences and that sort of thing, academics, we academics have to learn to speak in real people talk and not our own research jargon. And I, I strongly advise that academics, especially um, academics who have not done this type of kind of consumer-focused or business-focused application translation, um, I've I've worked with marketing people to help me understand what is the core message here. What are images that can help me relay this? And you know that's been I think part of the reason my work is so. Um, has been so uh, easy to adopt is because I do work with marketing people, you know, and even, an, you know, mm. you could spend an hour and, you know, it's not that it doesn't cost anything, but if you spend an hour or two to pay someone to help you identify, these are your core concepts. And, and that is definitely worth that investment if you want to figure out how to disseminate your work more widely
1: yeah yeah that makes sense so what would be your top tips for doing the real people talk if if people are not hiring a marketing specialist what would you say uh
0: you know i think i i guess what i would do if they're not gonna hire if you know what i would do is i would take index cards or big sticky notes and i would put them on a wall and um i Big words, almost like qualitative coding, where you're looking at your work and you're picking out themes that you think are the most important and most interesting. And I would want them to be in a place where I could shuffle them and reorder them. That's why sticky notes on a desk or on a wall or index cards. And I would want to see kind of how they, you know, come together in a story. And then I would want me asking friends or colleagues or not co- colleagues, least of all friends, family, you know, do the words that you think are most important, is that the is that word compelling? Um, what words mm. might be better? So basically doing your own type of qualitative analysis of what your story is and how to say it in the most compelling way and get input from people that don't cost money.
1: Mm. Yeah and and how many different talks you have or how much do you spend time customizing your talk to different events That's a
0: great question. So well first of all let me say I have a talk that's been evolving for seven to eight years so it's just the the talk keeps evolving as i need to tell the story a little more in depth or a little bigger part of the Mm. story so one talk is the one that i give the most and that talk has been evolving for seven years um i have another talk um all my all my talks are about lifestyle change in some way. They're about how we communicate. They're about the scientific pillars of sustainable behavior change. And I tell stories and I use characters um, in visuals. Uh, and, you know, I, so I would say have a handful from two to four presentations. I would say start with one. What's your key main story? Again, I have one primary presentation. And, and even though I don't drastically overhaul it, um, when I give it, I do tailor it in whatever ways it needs to be tailored to uh, to each group, so that it does kind of hit their specific needs.
1: Mm. Yeah. And and you said that one of your talks has been evolving for seven, eight years. How ready do you feel that it is at this point, or does it need more years? Or
0: well, it's. I mean, it's been ready and it was ready, but. I think that I I think I'm going to be giving this talk for a while and I think I'll probably keep, you know, um, implementing it and changing it because, you know, if I want to introduce new new scientific findings that aren't known yet, then I might change my story a little bit. I mean, I have a basic story that um, does a really good job of talking about the big picture of sustainable behavior change.
1: Mm, yeah. So now we have covered your practical work, your book, your your talks. Uh, do you have some research projects going on at the moment?
0: Um, well, I'm working on a couple different projects. One is we're, we're doing actually a national level study of um, the cultural mindsets people have about physical activity ultimately leads to, um, what's called map the gap with the frameworks Institute. Um, what experts think and people should know, what do people know about it and what's the gap and how can we cross that gap? So that's a really exciting national study. I'm uh, a co-PI on and another study I'm working on relates to what studying, um, outliers uh, among African-American women studying the women who sustain physically active lives, the African-American women who sustain physically active lives, and what are their secrets of success, what drives their long-term behavior. So that's another study. And I also am looking at how do we implement you know, the types of interventions that I design within healthcare to be efficiently and effectively um implemented.
1: Hmm. So do you already have some some results of this outlier study? I think it's a very, very interesting study.
0: I, I, I'm I trying to remember. I mean, I know there's been a lot of presentations. I think we have a published paper. It's descriptive. Um, if you want, I can email you the paper after yeah, we're
1: done. Yeah, I, I can check. No, No problem. And the other one was to to study the interventions in a healthcare setting that you have developed? Did I understand right?
0: Yes, I don't have findings on that yet.
1: All right, yeah. So different ones going. And then if I ask kind of more generally, what do you feel that these most uh, interesting things in the field at the moment the other others are doing?
0: Well, I think the ability to study um, implicit processes along with explicit processes is really interesting. I think, you know, trying to understand if someone has an external attitude and belief, but there's internally, there's different affect or uh, cognitions that are thwarting. I think that's really interesting. I think the neuroscience of health communication research is really interesting. So I, I think I would think about those two things as the most interesting thing that's going on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it has been very, very interesting discussions about your, your practical work and academic work. Uh, yeah, thank you for taking up the time for being a guest in this podcast.
0: Well, thank you for your interest in my work. It was a pleasure to meet you, and I hope we can stay in touch in the
2: future. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher podcast.